I need the kids to come on up, and then I'm going to need help from a couple of uh, strong adults who don't mind getting on their knees. Anybody? Oh, Nathan, thank you for joining me. And Jason, thank you, sir. I only need two. You don't have to get on your knees, I promise. All right, you guys can just stand to the side for just a second. I need to ask you guys, do you know what the word trust means? What does the word trust mean? Trust means you can trust someone. Trust means you can trust someone. Great definition. What well, you were shaking your head, yes. What do you think trust means? So you're trusting them with a secret, saying that you can tell them something and know that they're not going to share. So you you trust them. Okay. Anybody else? The word trust. What do you believe? What do you understand the word trust to me? Well, let me ask you this. Do you trust me? You do? So I could call you up here and promise that I won't do anything to embarrass you. But I will, I, if you trust me, you'll be able to close your eyes and fall and let, trust that I won't let you hit the ground. Okay, come on up. <laughs> if you don't feel like you can trust me, that's okay. Who feels that they can trust that I won't let you fall? Come on, come on up, come on up. Now, what I want you to do is turn around and face. Now, guys, this is what you're going to do. You're going to just stand there. You step back just a little bit. Okay, you're going to come up and put one foot. You're going to do this. No, no, and on on her foot. You're you're actually you're actually and standing back a little bit. Okay, now this is what's going to happen. You do not go forward. Okay, because I don't have anybody in front of you to catch you, but I have somebody on either side of you to catch you, and I have me to catch you going backwards. Okay. So when you're ready, I want you to put your hands across your chest, fold your arms over your chest like this. No, like this. And then when you're ready, I want you to close your eyes and you count one, two, three. And when you say three, fall backwards and I will catch you. I promise. See, good job. Don't don't move. Don't move. We're going to see if you can go farther down. One more time. You say one, two, three, say it loud so I can hear you. One, two, three. Wow, that's great. Good job. Thank you. That's trust. You want to try? Now that you've seen how it works? Okay, come on up. Okay, face. Let the guys put their feet on your feet to hold you down. You cross your arms. You say when you're ready, say one, two, three, and then fall back. Good job. Good job. All right, one more person. You want to try it again? Yeah. Okay, one more time. Like till they get their feet on your feet and you say one, two, three. One, two, three. Good job. Excellent. One more? This will be the last. Oh, two more. Okay. Two more and then we're done. Don't hurt her toes. Actually, you're going to need to step forward about one step because you're so tall. I don't want to <laughs> get knocked into the table. Okay, Ren, you count and say three and then I'll be ready to catch you. <laughs> you didn't trust me because I let you go a little bit farther than I was going to, than I let the other ones go. Okay, ready? Say it again. You do it when you're ready. Good job. Excellent. One last one. Come on up. That's okay. Okay, step one, step forward one, one step. There you go. Perfect. Put their feet, go ahead and, and just anchor her foot, feet so that they don't move. And then you count when you're ready. You tell me one, two, three, and then fall. Good job. <laughs> okay, good job. There is a Bible. Thank you, guys. Thank you. There is a Bible verse that says trust, and it's this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, your own thinking. In all of your ways, what is it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding in all your ways. My mind is going blank, folks. Help. Acknowledge. acknowledge. Thank you. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what that means is put God first. Let God be in charge. Trust that God's going to take care of you. No matter what's going on in your life, you can trust him. 
Just like you could trust that I wasn't going to let you fall. Okay? I even might make a mistake because I'm a human being, but God will never, ever, ever make a mistake. Isn't that cool? Let me pray for you guys, and then you can go back to your class. Jesus, bless these kids. Help them, Father, to come into a walk with you where they rest in you 100%, trusting you for everything. And Father, prove to them that you will never, ever fail them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go for it. You guys head back. Last week, we started our look at King Saul. And if you remember, we talked about the fact that um, although he is known as being a quote-unquote failure or a bad king, that he was actually a human being who was trying his best. And a lot of things happened. Choices that he made, circumstances that happened. Not trying to negate anything. He did wrong. But he was a human being that life kind of beat him down. Well, with this next chapter that we're looking at, is the beginning of his kingdom, his kingship, his, his becoming, coming into his own as the king. And quite honestly, as I was prayerfully putting this sermon together, I was like, well, God, this is a great history lesson and this is a great Bible study, but uh, what's the truth that's here for me to share with the people? And honestly, this is not a cop out. The Lord asked me to ask you to give the so what at the end of the sermon, okay? So what I mean by that is, at the end, when I'm done, I'm gonna ask you, what is the Holy Spirit whispering to you? What one sentence or two sentences is God saying for you to take home and chew on over the next week or hold on to or whatever the case may be, okay? So if you will turn with me to 1 Samuel, Chapter 11, there are only 15 verses in this uh, passage that we're, we're going to read all 15 of them. Then Nahash, which by the way means snake, which is an interesting thing. Nahash, the Ammonite, went up and besieged the city or village of Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I will gouge out all of your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all of Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, uh, Give us seven days respite that we may send messengers throughout all the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter to the, in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Hold on just a second. <laughs> there we go. Sorry, my, my Bible app is hiding one of the sentences. <laughs> It won't, there it is. Now, behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, what is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the land, by the hand of messengers saying, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. And then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah, 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow, by the, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, 
they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we'll give up to you. They were saying this to Nahash. And you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day, Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning and watch in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring those men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today, the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So let's start this um, Bible study. First of all, um, <clears throat> if you go back to chapter 10, it said that Saul was anointed. And then Saul was proclaimed king through a public gathering. But if you remember, he actually was hiding in the baggage. And then they called him forward. And then the people started yelling, long live the king, long live the king. And then it says that after it's all said and done, verse 26 of chapter 10, Saul went to his house. And that was the end. So although he had been anointed king and although he had been appointed as the king in a public public ceremony and public proclamation, then he just went home. Because there was no palace, there was no castle, there was no seat of government, there was no government. He was now king, but what was he supposed to do? Now, if you remember, Samuel told him, I'm going to blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And then this is going to blah, 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 verse chapter nine. Remember that? And he said, and whatever your hand finds to do, do it. So Saul went home and was just living life. And if you read scholars and commentaries, they will tell you that Samuel and Saul kind of shared the duties and responsibilities of being the last judges of the judge uh, era of, of Israel. And then Saul also was the first king. So it's kind of a this blending of the of eras. And Saul literally, because he, there was no government, there was no palace there was no seat it was just simply he just went home and did what he found to do now it did say that some of the valiant men who were who honored Saul went with him to his home in Gibeah but he just they just went so this happening in chapter 11 is the very first time that this brand new newly anointed newly appointed king gets called into action but it wasn't Samuel that called him into action. It was an emergency that was taking place in his nation over which he was king. Now, um, obviously, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 years ago, however long it was, it was more than two and less than five, I think. Um, there was no such thing as Pony Express. There was no such thing as telegraph. There was no such thing as television or radio or any of that, especially no Internet. So how did they get word to people? They literally sent messengers carrying the message to all of the areas of the nation of Israel. Now, again, if you if you go back in the story of Israel and when Joshua led the Israelites into taking over the land, they divided the land up into 12 segments to one for each of the tribes of Israel. What would, do you remember what Saul's tribe was? Benjamin. Benjamin. That is key to this story. Benjamin. Now, do you remember or do you recognize the term or the name Ammonite? Does it make sense to you? Do you know anything about them? 
Let me refresh your memory. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 19, verses 36 through 38. Genesis chapter 19, verses 36 through 38. Now, this is the tail end of a story, and I'll tell you the whole story. It's very familiar to you, so you shouldn't have a problem recalling it. There was a time where God sent angels to the, to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham tried to plead for the, for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God said, if I find 10 righteous, I won't destroy it. But then he didn't find 10 righteous. The only people he found were Lot and his wife and his two daughters. That was it. Four people. And the angels came to Sodom and Gomorrah and said to Lot and his family, get out because God is about to destroy this city. And so Lot and his wife and his two daughters got out and they were heading across a plain when the cataclysm happened and Lot's wife turned around to look. And the Bible tells us that she was turned into a pillar of salt. We don't understand anything more than what the Bible says. If I was interpreting it with a 21st century mind, I'm thinking it was a nuclear explosion and she stood up in the, and got hit with that nuclear blast and was turned into basically ash, if you will. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says pillar of salt. Then Noah, Noah, Lot and his two daughters go up into the mountains to stay. And the daughters connive together and say, what are we going to do? We're just going to die here in the mountains and we're not going to have our, our, our family line is just going to be cut off. This is terrible. So the one of them turns to the other and says, I know let's get daddy drunk and I'll sleep with him tonight. And then tomorrow night we'll get him drunk again and you can sleep with him and we'll get pregnant by our daddy. And that way we can perpetuate our line." Good human beings. Wonderful Father's Day message. (laughs) But go to chapter 19, verses 36 through 38. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So now we fast forward to the story in 1 Samuel about Nahash, the king or the leader of the Ammonites, coming and attacking the uh, the people of Japhesh, Japhesh, I can't say the word, my mouth is not happening, Jabesh Gilead. But again, we don't fully understand. Craig, are you there? He's not there. Are you, is the, did that map come up? We've been having a lot of trouble with internet this morning. I mean, it's been a nightmare trying to get anything to work. It did. So there's not slide number one? Okay, never mind then. All right, if you happen to have a Bible map in your back of your Bible and you want to look at it, fine. But otherwise, just try and picture this. As I'm describing it to you, if there's a map sitting in front of you right now and I'm behind the map and I'm pointing up here at the top of the map is the Sea of Galilee flowing out of the Sea of Galilee is the Jordan River down at the bottom of the Jordan River is the Dead Sea. The Jordan River kind of forms an eastern boundary and then the western boundary is the Mediterranean Sea. This area here is the nation of Israel, where Joshua brought the, the the people of Israel and divided up the land. But if you remember, two and a half tribes settled on the eastern the west the eastern side of the Jordan River. Um, it was uh, I can't remember what the names of the tribes are, but they settled right along the Jordan River on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Okay, and 
In that section on the eastern side of the Jordan River is where the city of Jabesh Gilead is. It's just like 10 or 15 miles, maybe 20 miles south of the Sea of Galilee on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Why would the Ammonites be upset and want to take over that land? If you go back to the story of the Exodus and then the story of, uh, of Joshua, you will see that Moab and the Ammonites and a couple other people wouldn't allow the nation of Israel to cross through their land. They made them go around their land. So when Joshua apportioned all of the land of Canaan to the tribes of, of Israel, they did not encroach on the Ammonite land. But historically, the Ammonites always felt that their land went all the way up to the Jordan River. So even though Joshua and Moses did not steal land from the Ammonites, and I can take you back in scripture where it shows that God said, I'm taking this land away from them because of their blah, 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 blah. We don't have time to go into that this morning. But know that they didn't steal any land from them. God did all of this in God's will, in God's perfect plan. And the end result was the people of Israel settled in this land and the Ammonites always had a, it's our land, it's our land. It's kind of like what's going on in Russia and Ukraine right now. It's this territorial fight over a piece of property. So if you look at the Ammonites through all the way from Joshua, all the way through past King David, even to today, there is still a fight over land. And the end result was the Ammonites actually disappeared from from the world picture around the time of the Roman Empire. They just kind of got absorbed into what is known as Arabs. There is no longer Ammonites, but there's a nation that's on the on the eastern side of the Jordan River today, and it's called Jordan. And guess what? One of the major cities of Jordan is Amman, which is Ammon. So even to this day, there is stuff in their culture about this people, the Ammonites. Okay, so here you've got the history. You've got these people who feel like their land was stolen from them. So Nahash, the leader of the Ammonites, comes to Jabesh Gilead, which is within that land frame, and says, I am taking this over and we're going to take you people down. And he said, and I tell you what, I'll either kill all of you or I'll let you live and be my slave. But I'm going to take out every one of your eyes, your right eyes. What? What in the world is that? Well, think about it. If you were a foot soldier... You would carry a shield in your left hand and you would carry the sword in your right hand. Now, if you were to hide behind your shield, most times the left eye would be covered and you'd be watching with your right eye and fighting. So for the king of the Ammonites to say, I'll spare you and make you my servant, but I'm going to make it so you can never rise up and fight against me because you will no longer have the eye that you would use to look around behind from behind your, your shield. That's what the significance of them taking the right eye. Now, again, this is the beginning of Saul's kingdom. He has not set up any kind of centralized government or anything. There is no, there's no police force. There's no army. There's nothing yet. And all of a sudden, there's a threat to one of the cities within one of the tribal lands. And they say, give us 10 days or seven days. Excuse me. Give us seven days. Give us an opportunity to call out to our brothers from around the whole nation of Israel and see if any of them will come to help us in this fight. If we get no response in those seven days, we'll just, we'll lay ourselves down and become your servant. And so the guy, Nahash goes, okay. So what they do is they send out these messengers, these, these, these people who are coming with these, these, like a town crier. Oh, it's horrible. You need to come. You need to come quickly. And so it reaches Gibeah, which is the village where Saul is living. 
And he's out doing his daily stuff. He's walking behind a plow with some with some ox. And um, he hears all the people of his village wailing and crying, verse 5 and then verse 6. And it says, when he hears the news about what's happening in Jabesh Gilead, the spirit of God rushes upon Saul and his anger is greatly kindled. Now, before we go any farther, I told you, Jabesh Gilead is significant to this story. It wasn't just any town that was being attacked. It was Jabesh Gilead. Why is that significant in Saul's story? Any idea? I'll tell you. Turn with me to Josh. Excuse me. Turn with me to um, Judges chapter 11. Now, I have to warn you what I'm about to read to you. And this is scripture, but it is PG. Thankfully, the children are not here. It is not a pleasant story. It is a vile story. It is one that makes me sick at my stomach, but it is still in the Bible. And so it is scripture. There was a man named Jephthah who had been rejected by his people. He actually went to live in Egypt in exile. And then finally, the Ammonites came and were attacking the Jewish people, the Israelites. And they sent for Jephthah to come and rescue them. And messengers were sent to then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites. Okay, because we've skipped a lot of the story so far. But just know, Jephthah has come back from Egypt. He's taken a leadership role over the people of Israel. And he said, this is chapter 11, by the way, of Judges. Chapter 11, verses 12 through 28. Jephthah sent messengers then to the king of the Ammonites and said, what do you have against me and that you have come to fight me and to fight against my land? And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel... On coming up from Egypt, took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok to the Jordan. Now, therefore, restore it peaceably. See, the fight back in the time of the judges was still the Ammonites saying, you stole our land, you stole our land, you stole our land. Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said to him, thus says Jephthah. Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel then sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom wouldn't listen. And then they sent also to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. And then they journeyed through the wilderness And went around the land of Edom and the land of Moab and arrived on the east side of the land of Moab and camped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the territory of Moab for the Arnon was the boundary of Moab. Israel then sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, please let us through your land to our country. But Sihon didn't give, didn't trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and encamped at Jahaz and fought with Israel. And the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel and they defeated them. So Israel took possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. And they took possession of the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok and from the wilderness to the Jordan. So then the Lord, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites from before the people of Israel. And are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that the Lord, our God, has dispossessed before us, we will possess. Now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab? I mean, king of Moab, did you ever contend against Israel or did he ever go to war with them? While Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages and in Aroer and its villages and all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon, 300 years. Why did you not deliver them within that time? I therefore have not sinned against you and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge will decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. But the king of the Ammonites didn't listen to the words of Jephthah and he sent that he sent to him. Now, if you go back to that story, let me let me get now go back to I was reading out of my notes. Judges chapter 11. It continues on. Uh, 
Verse 29, then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return to peace from the Ammonites, I will I will offer. It. Oh, that's I'm looking at a different one. This is the one that makes me sick to my stomach. But bear with me. I, I, I brought us to this one too soon. <laughs> Jabesh. Sorry. There it is. Verse 21. Chapter 21. This is the one I wanted. When the people. Chapter 21. Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah. No one shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. Okay. Remember. Remember. That Saul was a Benjamite. None of the people will give their daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And all the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God. And they lifted up their voices and they wept bitterly. And they said, oh, Lord God, why has this happened in Israel that today there will be one tribe lacking in Israel? Because all of them have sworn that they will not give their daughters in marriage and they cannot marry outside of Jewish bloodline therefore eventually the benjamin family the benjamin tribe is going to die out and so verse four it says the next day the people rose early built an altar offered peace burn offerings and peace offerings and the people of israel said which of all the tribes of israel did not come in the assembly to the lord for they had taken a great oath concerning the one that would not come to the lord at mizpah saying that one shall be put surely put to death and the people of israel excuse me yeah the people of israel had compassion for benjamin their brother and said, one tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do so that wise for those who are left since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives? And they said, what one is there of the tribes of Israel that didn't come up to the Lord at Miz- to Mizpah? And behold, no one had come to the camp from the village of Jabesh Gilead to that assembly. For when the people were mustered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. So the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men and they commanded them, you go and you strike all of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, the women, the children and the men. And this is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that has lain with a male, you shall devote to destruction. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead, 400 young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. So the entire village of Jabesh Gilead was killed with the exception of 400 virgins. Then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin who were at the rock of Rimmon and proclaimed peace to them. And they, and Benjamin returned at that time and they gave them the 400 women whom they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead. But they were not enough because there had been 600 Benjaminites, Benjaminites who were still alive. Then the elders of the congregation said, what shall we do for the wives for those who are left since the women are destroyed out of the, of the tribe of Benjamin. And they said, there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe not be blotted out. Yet we cannot give them our wives or our daughter. I mean, them wives from our daughters for the people of Israel had sworn cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, behold, there is a yearly fast at the, of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon. And they commanded the people of Benjamin saying, go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each one of you a wife from the daughters of Shiloh and then go back to the land of Benjamin. And when the fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Grant them graciously to us because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle. Neither did you give them to them else you would now be guilty. And the people of Benjamin did so and took their wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. And then it goes on. So what happened was Benjamin was destroyed. There were only 600 men left alive and they had sworn they weren't going to give their daughters as wives to these men. And then they were relent, uh, lamenting that fact that one of the tribes was going to die out. So they went to Jabesh Gilead, 
who had been devoted to destruction because of their failure to be part of the whole thing. And the end result was there were 400 women that were rescued out of Jabesh Gilead and given as wives to the Benjaminite, Benjaminite, I can't say that word, um, clan. And then they had to get 200 others from another means. Why was Jabesh Gilead important to Saul? His great, 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 great grandmother was from that village. Jabesh Gilead. I don't know how many greats. Might have been two, might have been three. I don't know. But the bottom line is, it was a personal thing for him. When the Ammonites came and attacked Jabesh Gilead and threatened to kill every single one of them or to make them slaves. And it says in Joshua, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 11, verse 6, the spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words and his anger was greatly kindled. They were touching his own family. How dare you? So what does he do? He cuts the yoke of oxen. He takes the yoke of oxen. He cuts them into pieces. And using those same messengers that were going around, he sends them out to all of the people of Israel saying, you better come with me. We've got a battle at Jabesh Gilead. And... So they go. And it literally says in verse uh, 11, when the battle was done and they were done routing the Ammonites, it says those who survived were scattered so that not even two of them were left standing together. So the Ammonites were decimated by Saul. Why was this important? Again, go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 19 and 22. The people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no, there shall be a king over us that we may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And so Samuel was made king. So there's this, this mindset that we need a king, we need a king, we need a king. God gives them a king. This is his first chance to rally the troops, rally the nation. He does so in an effective and powerful way. And he, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through his own personal, he leads them into a great victory, rescuing the people of Jabesh Gilead from the, from the arch enemy of the people of Israel, the Ammonites, who have been against them from the beginning. And he routes them and casts them out to the point where there's not even two guys from the Ammonite clan still being able to be together. They just totally decimated the thousands of them that were there. We don't have time to read all of that story, but know that that was a powerful thing. And then if you go to um, 1 Samuel chapter 11, verses 12 through 15, it says, Then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring those men that we may put them to death. Because Saul had won the hearts of the people. They were finally behind him as their king. And they were going to take care of those rabble rousers who weren't going to be respectful of our king. And Saul said, not Samuel, Saul said, verse 13, not a man shall be put to death this day. For the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. You see, Saul did not say, I have won a great battle. He didn't say, I am your king. He said, we will show mercy. We will not cause death among our own people today. Because God has brought salvation and we need to honor God. Verse 14. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. In other words, let's do a restart. We already anointed him. We've already appointed him. You've already yelled, long live the king, long live the king. But then there was kind of like a, and he just went home. Well, now. Let's renew. Let's restart this. And so, <coughs> excuse me, verse 15. All the people went to Gilgal and there they made 
Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they offered peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. And so this now is the establishment of Saul's government. This is now Saul coming into his own as the king. So what? Why was it put in the Bible? Yeah, it's a great history story, but what is there for us? Why did this need to be preserved from thousands of years ago? What is the one or two things that that God wants us to take from this? Because honestly, I prayed and said, Lord, can I just skip this one? (laughs) He said, no, there's a nugget of truth in here. I was like, could I just combine it with 12? He said, no, there's a nugget of truth in 11 that needs to be talked about. So what are you taking home? What's the one sentence or two sentences that the Holy Spirit's whispering to you? I'll shut up now. I think God wants us to know this is history of the Israelites, God's chosen people. And I think this shows... It shows God's providence. Okay. Trust the Lord for the outcome. Trust the Lord for the outcome. Even though they're not walking the, the perfect path, he's but, not forsaking them. Right, right. He's still walking along with them and, right. and bringing victory into their life. Right. Cool. And even though Saul was appointed king, he did give the glory to God. Yeah. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. It made me think because at the beginning, Saul was out plowing the fields and he's been made king, but he doesn't act as king until the Lord until um, uh, the spirit comes upon him mm-hmm. so I was thinking what's he doing there but then he was waiting so he let the Lord lift him up so it was it was an obedient waiting is that what I'm hearing I think so okay after after studying it and um, uh, and looking at it um, it I think that it was now when I first looked at it I thought but they made him king. But the people made him king, and it went, and it was through the you know, choosing. But um, he had to wait for instructions, and like you said last week, he didn't take the instructions home with him. <laughs> so that will be a problem for him later. Yeah. Anyone else? When he had to send out to all the nations and, and gather them together to go defeat the real enemy. The Christian Christian people would give up all their, I'm this way, I'm that way, I'm that way. If we would all join together, we could defeat the enemy. That's what came to me. When they all come together, the, the enemy could be defeated. In other words, when they all joined. Right. Okay. One of the things that I 
and again, this was, I was thinking it was just for me, but I'll share what my thought was. Um, Saul started out afraid and, and not feeling confident and, and not feeling like he, more of a, who am I? What, why me? How could I? And I'm sure he was past that by that point. But then he was just waiting for, he didn't know what, but he was just waiting for his kingdom to start. He didn't know, but he, he was just waiting. And it was like God had to go, come on, <laughs> and give him a little push to get him started into what was going to be going, becoming his kingdom. Um, and like, and again, for, uh, equating it to my own life, where I'm at in 2021, I officially retired from being the camp medic at kids camp and teen camp. I told both the leaders and all of the district level leadership. I said, I just don't have it anymore. I'm 60 some years old. It's time for you to get a, a younger person to do it. There are lots of people in this district who are nurses or medics or, or paramedics or whatever. You need to get somebody else. And uh, about a month and a half ago, not even a month and a half ago, about four weeks ago, Pastor Paul, our district superintendent, sent out an, an email to all of the pastors saying, we are really hurting. We need volunteers. Please talk to your people. Try to get someone from your church to go work with the children's camp because otherwise it's not going to happen. And I was and the Lord, the Lord was like, yeah, Bob, I'm like. <laughs> No, God, <laughs> I've officially retired. They know that. And the Lord was like, too bad. <laughs> and literally, it was a push from God. I mean, I could just deleted that email and not paid any attention to it. But I really felt like God was. Now, I am walking in fearfulness. I literally am. I mean, it's hard for me um, to to think about what's going to be happening over the next week. And I'm not asking this for you to pity me. I'm, I'm just telling you where I'm at. I'm just being real and genuine and unsincere. Um, I, I get out of breath easily now if I walk any length of, of, of distance. My, my, I mean, I'm, I'm being seen and treated by a doctor because of it. Um, I have weakness in my legs. I just a week ago got a handicap placard for my car because of this, these health issues. And the doctors are saying, we'll keep an eye on it. We're going to keep watching on it. There's other stuff going on. You don't need to know all my personal history, but just understand there's stuff going on because of my health. And I'm like, God, why are you asking me to go to run with children for a week? I don't have the physical strength to do it. And the Lord keeps saying, do you trust me? And it's that that image, like I said, like I shared about being in the cleft of the rock with God putting his hand over the opening where he's got me completely 100 percent surrounded, top, bottom, all sides. And he himself is covering the entrance. I'm safe. I'm good. He's got me. But see, I wouldn't have even gone there had I not gotten that email. And then had I not listened to the Holy Spirit. So that was for me, it was that bump off of the the little uh little position that I was in to force me to start down a path. And so that's what I see here with Saul is God saw that Saul was willing, but Saul needed an impetus, something to push him to get him started into getting his kingdoms off, off its little stilts and get it actually running and doing it's, it's what he's, what he's called to do. Anyway. I don't want to take up. Is there anybody else had any thoughts about? Yeah, Elsie well, and then Kylie. I had another one and it related to me because of uh, how we relate to our family. And um, the Lord also pulled me into the backstory of the Benjamite tribe. And um, I always thought they just regarded themselves as, as the little guy. The, 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 the smallest of the small and weakest of the weak because uh, because Benjamin was the baby. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, he was, he was uh, um, Jacob, Israel's baby. But to see that story and that their tribe was almost wiped out, they were at the mercy of all of their quote-unquote brothers. And um, so he carried that family story and then to have your own family who are the smallest of the small and weakest of the weak 
regards you as the lowest in your family. Mm. Um, it, 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 no wonder he had such a, a great, you know, no wonder it, um, that uh, we need God to lift us up because um, our family many times are not going to be able to do it mm. because, mm. Of, because of those long histories and the words that have been spoken over them over the years. And, uh, and so that, and that impacted me greatly because um, I've, been, I've been struggling with that, um, you know, since now, both the, now that both my parents are gone mm -hmm. and um, all of that stuff comes out. And, uh, and so it's very encouraging that I can wait on the Lord and trust Him to look to Him to lift me up and be strong in Him. Kylie, what were you going to say? It was part of the 12 tribes, but they were, they had been under an, a separate curse because they didn't show up to join the fight. It was a different fight. I, I got myself confused. I, I went to the wrong passage of scripture so that I, I, I didn't want to take time to go back to the other passage and reread that. But there had been another battle and they had called all of the nation of Israel together and the people of Jabesh Gilead had not shown up. And they had already said, anybody who doesn't come, we're going to kill you. And so they had already sworn this. And so they were... See, back then, they made a covenants without thinking. Because I, I didn't get into Jephthah's story, but Jephthah ended up killing his own daughter as a result of a vow that he made. So it's the, that kind of a thing where they made a vow before God and they had no choice but to honor it. And that meant that the people of Jabesh Gilead got killed. But then they said, well, if we keep the virgins alive, then we can give them to be Benjamin's wives. That'll help. Because they had two bad vows that they had made. <laughs> they cut off the Benjamites and then they cut off the Jabez Gilead. Anyway, so that's what it was. That was, okay. and it was Shiloh was the, was the village where they, where they allowed the Benj the 200 Benjamin family members that didn't have wives from the 400 virgins. They then hid in the bushes while the girls came out to dance and they grabbed them and ran off and have you ever seen the movie Seven Brides for Seven Brothers? Yes. <laughs> exactly the same. Yes. Um, it's interesting that, that Saul didn't threaten their lives when he said, he said, I'll do this to your oxen too. Yeah. Did it to mine. So it's like, I'm not going to kill you, but I will take your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? All hearts clear? Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the fact that you are speaking to us on all different levels. And I ask God that you would help us to carry this with us as we go this week. Help us to honor you and to just commune, you, commune with you uh, as we read through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, David, come on up.